All right, we're in Psalm 42. If you have a Bible, we're in Psalm 42. On the back table as you walked in, there are some extra Bibles. If you need one, please grab one. You can look at your phone, you can look at your iPad, you can look at whatever device you have. But please have Psalm 42 before you. Thank you guys for those who prayed for my family and I this week as we traveled uh, on vacation. We had a great time, and uh, we are glad to be back in the rhythm of life uh, with you. So thank you so much for, um, for praying for us. We're in Psalm 42. We're going to read Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. It's rather long, so I'm going to ask you to stay seated as I read it, but please do put your eyes on the text with me. Again, if you need a Bible, don't be afraid to stand up at any point in time and grab one there in the back. And those clipboards should be coming forward. So if you're in the back, would you grab that clipboard and just pass it down through the aisles so that we have the opportunity to sign that as well. Psalm 42. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you downcast, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Psalm 43. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will sing praise, I will praise you with a lyre, O God my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When I was a boy, my next-door neighbor was a woman named Mrs. Frances Jackson. 
She was a University of Texas graduate. Shocking, I know. She graduated from UT in the 50s. She was a sorority girl, Kappa Kappa Gamma, I believe. She was the essence for me of class and style and I spent the afternoon one day when I abducted her to take her to take your grandmother to school day. I remember Mrs. Jackson very, very well. She lived next door to us for uh, 25 years. One day I was in her backyard as a teenager swimming in her pool and she was reading the paper and she had this real absent, uh, thoughtful look on her face. And uh, I said to her, uh, Mrs. Jackson, are you okay? What's wrong? And she lowered the corner of the newspaper down as we used to do when we used to read newspapers. And she looked at me and she said, Blake, when you're old, you read the daily paper differently. Especially the back page of section A. You see, in my hometown paper, the back page of section A was the obituary page. Mrs. Jackson said, you see your friends there. You knew those people. You were part of their lives, and they were part of you. And then she fought back this gritty, determined laugh as though she were saying, and the way they describe their life in the obituary is nothing like the beautiful life that they lived well. Grief is a very common experience, but it's not a very common subject that we talk about, yet it is a universal one. And it doesn't matter if you're a five-year-old who has just lost your favorite stuffed animal on a family vacation, or you're a seasoned saint who has held the hand of your spouse for whom you have lived for 60 years as they passed into the presence of Jesus Grief is an emotion that we all feel, but none of us like to talk about it. In fact, there's an article in the New York Times just last week about how we like to take grief and use it as, or, or deflect grief, never enter into it. We're distracted by it. They said in this article that the average American spends eight and a half hours in front of a screen of some sort every day, whether you're working in front of a computer or you're playing on your iPod or whatever it may be. You're in front of a screen and we use the net and we use distraction to avoid some of the most important phases of our life, of which grief is certainly one of those. Today, I want to talk to you about grief using the Psalms. It's not a common subject, but it is a universal one. And you have or you will one day come face to face with grief. And as Christians, we grieve, but not as those without hope, 1 Thessalonians 4.13 tells us. And in fact, because we're so tempted to distract ourselves from the topic of grief or affliction, I want to force us to sit together for the next four weeks and to think about it. And we're going to think about it in this way. We're going to think about it using a song, the Psalms, which we'll talk about in just a minute, a person, an experience in Jesus' own life, and in the writings of Paul. So we're going to use a psalm, a prophet, the gospel, and an epistle. I'm going to show you throughout the whole context of Scripture how central 
the gospel is to the way we grieve. So, let's dive into it. The English Puritan William Bridge said that grief is like a very heavy leather bag that is dropped on your head from a high scaffolding, and it nearly knocks you out. And if you cast it aside as just some God-forsaken event in your life, and you forget to look inside this leather bag, then you would miss that it's full of gold bullion and riches that you would never imagine. Blaise Pascal, who is the French mathematician and philosopher, he said that distracting ourselves from grief is such the common plight of humanity that he, he says, quote, I have often said that the sole cause of man's unhappiness is that he does not stay quietly in his room to examine his griefs. Distraction is the only thing that consoles us in our miseries, and yet distraction is itself the greatest of our miseries. So let's enter into grief today using the Psalms, and let's do it in three ways. What is it? What are the common signs of grief, and what are the remedies for it? Okay? What is it? What are the common signs, and what are the remedies for it? What is grief? You can look on the back side of your bulletin, and you'll find the notes if you guys are note-takers. Grief is the emotion that you feel, the, you experience losing a loved person, object, or role in your life. Grief may come to you because of the death of a spouse, as it has for many of us. It may come because we've lost a job. It may come because we've lost a certain role that we once had in a person's life. Like, students, you know, college students especially, like, you know that when you date and that when you break up, you go through a season of grief because you've lost the role that you once had in your, your ex-boyfriend or ex-girlfriend's life. And that's multiplied hundreds of times more when you suffer through divorce, when you enter into a covenant of marriage, and then that's broken. You grieve the role that you once had in that person's life. Parents, if you've lost children, even moms, if you've miscarried, you know what this is like. You grieve the potential role that you would have had in that young child's life. Grief is common to every single one of us. From five to 95, we go through it. So the question is, how do we, what do we draw from as believers to be able to enter into our grief and not just distract ourselves from it like we're wont to do? Grief is losing a beloved person, object, or role in your life. Every one of us goes through it. That's number one. That's what grief is. Now, what are the common signs of grief? Like, what does grief look like? Well, thankfully, we've got an album in Scripture with 150 songs for our soul. They're called the Book of Psalms. And originally, Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 were considered one psalm, but they were broken up when Scripture became written down. The scribes broke them apart, but we know that they're the same psalm. Almost every scholar agrees that they were once one psalm because, look, they have the same chorus. Look at verse 5. It says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? 
And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. That's the chorus to the psalm. And then look down at verse 11 of chapter 42. What does it say? Well, there's the chorus again. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And then look at Psalm 43. Look at the last verse in Psalm 43. There it is again, the exact same four lines. Why are you downcast, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. At the top of Psalm 42, it's the beginning of the new book, the second book of the Psalms. Right? The Psalms are divided into books, chunks of Psalms. And it says at the top of Psalm 42 that this is a mascul of the sons of Korah. Now you may remember the sons of Korah from Numbers 16. You remember that Korah was the one who led the rebellion against Moses and Aaron. They're in the wilderness and Korah said, yo, yo, I don't know who you think you are, Moses, but you're setting yourself up to be like this like, chief over your little chiefdom, and I ain't playing that game. And they rebelled. Korah and his buddies rebelled against the Lord because he had set Moses and Aaron up. And you remember the story where the earth opens up and swallows Korah. But it says later in Numbers that his sons did not die. All those who followed Korah did, but his sons didn't die. And in fact, in Chronicles, it shows us that they were actually fierce supporters of King David. And then they were taken in the exile out of Jerusalem, and they were put north of the Sea of Galilee, and it's from there that they write these psalms, these psalms of grief, these psalms of longing, these psalms of yearning for the life that they once had that can no longer be theirs. And they teach us something about our own hearts. Notice how they try to express themselves. They talk about a deer, they talk about the depths, and they talk about their longing for deliverance. Notice that they use this image of the deer, right, in 42 verse 1. 42.1 says, The deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul for you longs. Listen, a deer is not a camel. <laughs> they didn't see themselves like the normal animal of the ancient Near East. They saw themselves not as a self-sufficient pack animal who carries things for other people. They saw themselves as a tender, vulnerable, needy, deer who needs resources outside of itself to sustain it. They were like deer longing, thirsting, thirsting for God. Do you? Do you sometimes just thirst? You just long for the tenderness of your father? You long for him to show you his presence in a way that is very foreign to you. The sons of Korah thirsted for him. They had a sense of spiritual deprivation. That's the first sign of grief. There was a spiritual deprivation about their life. 
You see that before you in Psalm 42, verse 1. They were longing for his presence. They had not experienced it since they were taken into exile. And they longed for it again. Not only did they have a sense of spiritual deprivation, but the other sign of grief is that they found themselves in the midst of a hostile environment, longing for the way things once were. Notice in verse 42, verse 3, it says, My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? I remember these things as I pour out my soul. Or verse 9, Why have you forgotten me? Why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Listen, do you find yourself in a hostile, some of you are very hostile work environments. And you don't realize it, but you're actually going through a season of grief because of the stress, because of their broken relationships at work. And you're grieving. You're missing the kind of environment that you once enjoyed in your work. And the sons of Korah remind us that one of the signs of grief is being in a hostile environment. But not only that, you have a lost role. Look at verse 3 verse 4 rather it says these things i remember as i pour out my soul how i would go to the throng and lead them in procession to the house of god with glad shouts and songs of praise a multitude keeping festival the sons of Korah were the levites they were the ones who led church they led people to the throne of god they led the procession to the temple to worship God. And here they are, exiled north of the Sea of Galilee, a long, long way. It says they're from the land of Jordan and of Hermon. That's where they are when they write this psalm. From Mount Mazar, which is a long way from Jerusalem. And they're longing for that role that they once shared together. Are some of you grieving over the lost role that you had in somebody's life or somebody once had in your life? Grief doesn't only come to us when somebody passes away, although it does come in a very powerful way then. But it also comes with broken relationships and lost trust and heartbreak. These are the signs of our grief. The sons of Korah were the ones who wrote, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Psalm 84.1. They loved leading people to worship God and no longer do they have that role. And they grieve. Psalm 42 and 43 tells us, it gives us the song of a grieving heart, longing for the way things once were. But that's not all. The signs of grief aren't just spiritual deprivation, this thirst for God's presence. It's not just a hostile environment. It's not just a lost role in somebody's life. But it's also this incredible sense of abandonment. And perhaps that's the most painful experience of grief that we have look at verse 7 it says deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls all of your breakers and your waves have gone over me you think about jonah remember in jonah chapter 2 verse 7 where it says i am drowning i'm going under the breakers i am overwhelmed 
And then it says, I say to God, my rock. God is my rock. I'm going to lean on all the theology. I'm going to lean on all of the things that I know to be true about God. You are my rock and my salvation. And then right after that, the sons of Korah say, why have you forgotten me? Some rock you are. Where are you? Listen, uh, the, top of the top of the psalm, when it said a mascal to the sons of Korah, now that wasn't original. Scribes put that in there to show us how the psalms have been used throughout history. And a mascal, it means to teach or to instruct. And this psalm is given to us almost like prescription, like a medicine, to teach us how to enter into our griefs, enter into our seasons of affliction. 17 psalms are called mascals. 13 of them, the scribes actually wrote, this is a mascal of David or of the sons of Korah or of Asaph or whoever wrote that particular psalm. They are meant to teach us. David Pallison, who's a very well-known biblical counselor, said that a psalm is exactly what we need in the moment. The Psalms are designed to be exactly what we need in the moment. Not only that, but the Psalms connect you to the sorrows and joys of the saints in history, to Christ's own sufferings, to give us a way to approach the Father when we don't have the energy or the words. The Psalms are for you today. Listen, sometimes when you are really struggling and grieving, what is it that you do? You go to the shower, you turn up the radio, and you just cry, and you sing a song. Or you find a song over the radio that just melts your heart, and you just sing it. Because language just simply doesn't seem to work unless you can sing unless you are able to express yourself with poetry and lyrics. We have a core group, or a community group, that's quickly becoming a core group, that's meeting up in Grove, and they, they, these brothers have really struggled over whether they're going to become a community group of Trinity or they're going to stay at their church. It was really a struggle for them. And when they decided together, these three families, that they were going to become this new community group, they were really torn. They really struggled over that issue. They really wanted to support the churches in their area, but they also really felt like the Lord's calling them to, to perhaps form a new, reformed, gospel-centered church. And there was a song by Cloverton called Great Plans I Have for You. And there's really only one line in the song. And it's Jesus singing over his people, Great Plans I Have for You. I know you're tired. I can see it in your eyes. Great plans I have for you. And I kid you not, these guys were really struggling with the sense of grief of leaving a community up there. And it was a song that resonated with the Psalms of Scripture that, we, that I played for them in my living room. And there were three big old, grown, tough, cross-training men all crying like babies after that song was over. Because sometimes you just need a song to give expression to your longing. Do you know what I'm saying? Listen, the songs are your songbook. You have 150 songs in an album. They're for you. They may not 
be as catchy as Cat Scratch Fever or John Denver, but dadgummit, they speak to your heart in ways that nothing else can. They are a mascal for your soul. They are given to you to be the language, your default language for expressing yourself before God when you're grieving especially. Psalm 42 shows us the signs of our grief. They lost something that they once had. And some of you have too. And Psalm 43 then shows us three remedies, three remedies for our grief. And the first one is found in the chorus. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? The first remedy to grief is to think and to reflect. To think and to reflect. Something that we do not like to do. Because there are, at least I don't, maybe you do. There's a thousand things to do. I can check ESPN 40 times in an hour in order to distract my, ESPN.com, to distract myself. There's a ton of things you can do. But listen, sometimes you just need to sit, like Blaise Pascal said, quietly in a room and consider your griefs. And to Think and reflect about how much you miss your loved object or loved person or your lost role. You have to think. The gospel renews our minds. That's what Paul says in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You can't be renewed in your mind unless you take time to consider your griefs. Secondly, not only do you consider, do you think and do you reflect, but you pray. You pray. Notice that in 43, verse 3, it says, it's just a, this is a prayer. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling, and then I will go to the altar of God. To God, my exceeding joy. Brothers and sisters, when you're reading the Psalms, you're called to think. When you're struggling with grief, you're called to reflect, and you're called to pray, and you're called to pray if it's helpful, even these same very, very words. And not only do you think, not only are you called to pray, but lastly, you're called to see. You're called to see through your grief. Verse 4, it says, Then I will go to the altar of God. Listen, he sees where he's headed. And I will go to God, my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. He is seeing the hope that he doesn't yet have, but he wants it. He is seeing the promise of God that God is near you and that God loves you and that he holds you together, sometimes with bailing wire and duct tape, but he holds you together and he wants you to grow more and more and more and more in your vision for what he wants in your life. Listen, when C.S. Lewis was, um, was a, uh, he was a middle-aged man, he was a, a scholar of medieval literature at Oxford University, Lewis had a pen pal who was an American divorcee. Her name was Joy Gresham, and he had uh, met her through letters, and she was divorced, and she would come over to the UK for conferences, and he began to just, he just enjoyed her intellectual curiosity. He enjoyed this friendship that he had with her, and to his surprise, as Joy Gresham be, began to come to the UK more and more, he found himself actually falling in love with this American lady. And in 
1957, they married. And any biography of Lewis will tell you that it was the, the most joyful time in Lewis's life. Finally, he had married. He had found somebody that really knew him, that he knew. And he loved joy. Except soon after he married, they got the very difficult news that joy had cancer. And so in the prime of his life, he's loving his life. He just loves what's happening. Within 36 months, joy dies to cancer. And if you've read much of C.S. Lewis, you know that 20 years before that, he wrote a book called The Problem of Pain. It was a rational intellectual pursuit of pain. And he tried to solve the problem of pain. And he wrote this masterpiece of how do you understand pain from a good, loving God. What do you do with pain as a Christian? And Lewis wrote this book. Do you know what he said? When joy died, all of his intellectual understanding of the gospel, all of his pursuit for how do you understand pain and suffering seemed to be little anesthetic to his soul. And the only thing that Lewis knew how to do was read the Psalms and to journal what he felt. And Lewis read the Psalms and he journaled what he felt. And after he died, they published his journals. It was called A Grief Observed. And it could not be any, more, there could be a drastic difference in the intellectual understanding of pain and the actual experience of it. You can read these books back to back. They're amazingly different because one is in the midst of pain and one is trying to get a handle on it. And Lewis writes, Tonight, all the hells of young grief have opened again. This is one night as he's reading the Psalms. The mad words, the bitter resentment, the fluttering in the stomach, the nightmare unreality, the wallowed in tears. For in grief, nothing stays put. One keeps on emerging from a phase, but it always returns. Round and round, everything repeats. Am I going about in circles? Or dare I hope I'm on a spiral? But if a spiral, am I going up or down it? This brilliant man who understood theology struggled in his own experience with grief. And it was in reading the Psalms that he found it to be the escalator to bring him out of his downward spiral of despair. So I want to get really practical with you. It's, you can hear a sermon on the Psalms. You can understand how he uses the imagery of the deer about our spiritual deprivation and of the depths, our incredible hostile work environment that we're struggling with, our lost role. You know, the sons of Korah long to go back to the temple. And the remedies to think and reflect and to pray and to see. But I want to get extremely practical and I want to show you four ways to read the Psalms to bring you up out of the downward spiral of grief. Here are the four ways to read the Psalms. And we're going to spend time thinking about this over the next three weeks. But four ways for us to read the Psalms. First, you read the Psalms, the first voice of the Psalms, if you will. If we're going to take this book seriously as our song book, the book of Psalms, you, the first voice calls out the experience of the writer. We've done this. The sons of Korah long to return to worship. They long to return to the relationships that they once had. They missed those. They need, they grieved over them. 
They were in exile. They were in a hostile environment. They were in affliction. The first voice, you read it in its historical context. You read it from the voice of the writer. The second way to read the Psalms. You read the same Psalm again. This is the second way you read it. The second voice sounds the experience of the people of God through the ages, the communion of saints. Listen, you are a part of a vast company of people, Christians, who have read these exact same words and who have found that they give language to the anguish of their hearts in ways that Justin Bieber never could, that things your favorite song cannot do. Use the voices of the past. Read biographies in order to pull out of those biographies things that help you relate to them. Because the Psalms is just that. It's just a spiritual biography of brothers who have gone before you. Use their poetry. Teresa of Avila said in the 16th century, O oh Lord, how long would this exile of mine last? This is the way that she resonated with this psalm. The thirst to see God fills my heart with bitterness. Life appears long to anyone who wants to see his God. Why stay in this sad exile? Hope, hope, therefore, my soul, you do not know the day or the hour. Watch, watch carefully, and it will pass rapidly. Sometimes you just need people to sit with you, and that can be in your community group, people, the communion of saints present. Sometimes that can be the communion of saints past. The second way to read the Psalms is to read it, to hear the voice of the saints of the past who have also read this psalm. The third way to read the psalm is to read it as though Jesus, your Lord, were reading it himself. The third voice registers Jesus' own experience. Listen, your Savior is a man who was afflicted. He was a man of sorrows, and he is, as we're going to see next week, acquainted with griefs. And the Psalms are not just meditative techniques for achieving some kind of mental equilibrium. They are ways to pull out of you what you really feel. They are songs for your soul. And the deeper despair, the more beautiful they become. Because listen to, listen to the depths of anguish as if Jesus were saying this. Listen to Jesus' own hostile experience. Deep calls to deep. At the roar of your waterfalls, All of your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is within me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Can you see him saying that on the cross? Why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? That's almost an exact quote from what Jesus actually did say on the cross. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So I'm talking practically about four ways to read the Psalms. The same Psalm, you read it once from the historical perspective of the writer. You read it again through the voice of those who have lived before you. You read it a third time through the voice of Jesus himself and his own experience. And then you read it a fourth time through your own eyes, your own experience. These words are a map to your experience. They are to help you process your own senses of grief. Listen, 
whether you're grieving because you're longing for something more spiritually, you're kind of in a funk spiritually, you're grieving for an intimacy with the Father, maybe that's because there's sin you need to confess. And maybe the problem is actually quite that simple. Maybe it's because there's sin you need to confess. Maybe, maybe. Maybe it's because you're in a very hostile phase of life. Your kids are just pulling you every which way. You're just, oh, I just, I long for the day when we could just put a movie in at six o'clock and watch it together as a couple. I mean, those days are gone. Maybe it's because you just lost your spouse. But the Lord calls us as a community, as a young church plant, together to share our griefs, to bear our burdens together with each other. And the only way we're able to do that is if you read the Psalms and you see in the Psalms that your hope comes in your deliverer, Christ himself. Who, what was it that Jesus said on the cross? Jesus said on the cross, I thirst like a deer panting for living water. This Psalm is a picture of your Savior and his thirst for you on that cross entering into the grief of his life so that you and your griefs might be able to say with your savior at your side oh lord you are my rock why does it seem like you've forsaken me but yet i will praise you my god and my king listen jesus thirsted for you it says in john 7:37 Jesus says that I have come. You can turn there with me if you have your Bibles. John 7, 37. He says, on that day, the feast, the great day, the, Jesus stood up and he cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Do you drink of your Savior's love? He is with you. In John 4, you remember the story of the woman of the well. And with this, I'll close. Remember what he told the woman of the well? He said, I have living water for you with which you will never be thirsty again. What he was saying to the woman was, with me, you are complete. With me, you are loved. It's not those seven husbands you had. It is with me. And friends, those of us who are grieving right now, I encourage you to read Psalm 42 and hear your Savior singing that over you. And then read Psalm 43 and hear your Savior say, I want to be your exceeding joy because I love you and I am with you. So what is grief? Grief is a loss of a loved person, object, or role. The signs of grief appear to us in Psalm 42. And the remedies for grief are being able to enter into the psalm itself and seeing the love that your Savior has for you, that he is with you, that he has not abandoned you, that he has gone to the cross to bear your griefs together with you. Because there will be a day, one day, that Jesus says in Revelation 21, 5, Behold, I am coming to make all things new. So hope in God. Therefore, O oh friends, hope in God, for he is your rock, and he is your salvation. Those of you who are going through seasons of grief right now, I encourage you to reach out to me or to the elders or to your community group and talk about it.
please do not hold it in. You've got a community group around you, and you've got an album of 150 songs to help you give expression to that grief. Can you do that? And in so doing, see the love that your Savior has for you. And then come to the table in just a moment. And thirst no more. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you will take us in our griefs and you will help us to avoid the distraction and that you might very practically give us resources for how to deal with our grief using the Psalms, to read them as they were historically written, to understand them through the eyes of those who have gone before us, who shared those same lyrics for themselves, to read it as Jesus's own experience and then lastly to read it with our own eyes with our own experience of pain Lord may the Psalms become the default soundtrack of our church and of our hearts we pray these things in Jesus name Amen